This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Every new year, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy can also help you build on what's working by helping you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. I know firsthand how helpful it can be to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. Therapy isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Curiosities today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Curiosities. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. As the conflict between the North and the South boiled during the mid-19th century, Southern slaves did all they could to flee their captors and rebuild their lives up North. Many ended up in Canada, while others settled in states like New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. It was in New Jersey, in the town of Quinton to be exact, where John Barry lived. John was a bit of a loner, living by himself in the Quinton Woods, away from the rest of the community, which had scattered itself into clusters of homes all over the area, tiny individual neighborhoods that mostly kept to themselves. He was a spiritual man, too, a Methodist, and he had a divine revelation to bring everyone closer. They had come so far and risked so much, and John Barry believed that the only way they would survive the war raging in the South was together. They needed a meeting place, a symbol of unity, faith, and strength. In short, they needed a church. John erected a log cabin in the Quinton Woods, as well as a small cemetery next door. He called his new house of worship Barry's Chapel, and it seemed that his hard work didn't go unnoticed. Barry's Chapel became such a hit with the community that African-American Methodists flocked from all over to hear John lead them in prayer and song. As the war progressed, Barry's Chapel became a popular stop on the Underground Railroad. The Quinton Woods provided substantial cover as former slaves made their way north to other territories. But there were some other individuals who weren't thrilled about Barry's Chapel, nor the services it provided to the community. White men, members of what would eventually become the Ku Klux Klan, began harassing the members of Barry's Chapel on a regular basis. You might not know this today, but long after the Civil War ended, New Jersey became home to a very active branch of the KKK. In fact, a meeting held in 1923 once garnered a crowd of 12,000 members who surrounded another church in order to tell the congregation that they weren't welcome there. Town historians still regard the Klan as the chief harassers of Barry's Chapel during the 1920s. They broke up meetings and harassed members, until another church opened up not too far away. Barry's congregation moved en masse to the other church almost immediately and the original chapel fell into disrepair, 
eventually burning down. That's not how the locals know it, though. Ask them and they'll tell you what really happened to Barry's Chapel. According to people who lived in Quinton their entire lives, the church never made it to the 20th century. It didn't even make it to the 1870s. Someone had wanted to send a message, and they burned the church to ash one night. No one had been inside at the time, and the members got to work building a new chapel. It was bigger, better, and able to fit more worshippers inside. But grudges die hard, and so does bigotry. And not long after its completion, another fire was started. It's not known whether the second fire was set by the same person who had burned down the first, but what we do know is that the church was full that night. As they worshipped in their pews, John reading from his Bible at the altar, every single member of the Barry Chapel congregation perished. The church went up in flames and John Barry was taken along with it. He was buried deep in the woods in a grave no one can find today. The stone marking his final resting place has long disappeared. What hasn't disappeared, though, is Barry, or his church. If you venture out into Quinton Woods on most nights, you might see it, ablaze in the dark as the fire consumes its wooden frame. And surrounding the smoldering chapel? Well, the people who live in Quinton today swear they've witnessed John Barry and his congregation singing and dancing around the burning church. Wait long enough, and you might also hear the sound of scraping metal and people screaming. John Barry built his church hoping it would bring people together. And it did. The work he did to unite his community was nothing short of a miracle. His congregation knew the value of what he'd done, and they stood by him through the worst of it. Even, according to the story, in death. Theodore Roosevelt is remembered today as an icon of strength, and for good reason. He was a cowboy, a hunter, and a soldier before he ever stepped foot in the White House. But not everyone knows the truth behind the bull moose's tough demeanor. Growing up, Teddy was sick. A lot. He battled asthma for most of his childhood and woke up many nights suffering from severe breathing problems, a feeling he compared to being smothered to death. As he got older, Joining his father on hikes and camping trips, the attacks lessened. Teddy realized the secret to beating his asthma was in physically strengthening his body. He took up boxing and studied biology. Hunting became a beloved pastime, especially on his ranches in North Dakota. His resilience carried him through college, where he studied naval history and strategy, even as he worked his way up through the New York State Assembly, Governor's Office, Vice Presidency, and then, finally, the White House. Teddy had grand plans for his presidency, and one of those plans included an unprecedented third term in office. It was the fall of 1912 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when he left his hotel to deliver one of the last speeches of his grueling campaign. He'd been on the road for weeks, shaking hands and talking before crowds of hundreds, even thousands of voters at a time. His voice had all but disappeared, but Teddy pressed on. There were bigger issues at stake, and by this time, Teddy was known for speaking softly. Clad in his thick army overcoat, he stepped into a waiting car ready to whisk him off to the auditorium. Inside his breast pocket, 
Teddy had placed his folded-up speech, about 50 pages in total, and his metal eyeglasses case. A crowd cheered when they saw him, and Theodore Roosevelt, not one to disappoint his adoring constituents, stood to wave back at them. He never saw John Schrank, the out-of-work barkeep, raise the Colt 45 to his chest. The shot rang out, and Schrank was quickly tackled and arrested by Roosevelt's bodyguards. The would-be assassin claimed that the ghost of William McKinley had visited him in a dream one night and told him to avenge McKinley's assassination by killing President Roosevelt. Teddy, pale but calm, touched his fingers to his lips. If the bullet had pierced his lung, he would have blood coming out of his mouth. When his fingers came back clean, he instructed the driver to get him to the auditorium right away. Once there, three doctors examined the severity of the president's wounds. The bullet had, in fact, pierced his skin and lodged itself in the right side of his chest. It had been slowed, though, by the thick wad of paper and the metal case in his pocket, so much so that the damage was only superficial. Teddy pressed on, determined to deliver this important speech. He sent one of his bodyguards out on stage to explain to the audience what had happened. Some of them, though, didn't buy it. One man shouted an all-too-familiar refrain, Fake! Teddy took to the stage, the blood-stained shirt on display for all to see. He held up the speech with the hole going straight through all 50 pages, and just like that, the crowd fell silent. He spoke for an hour and a half before finally heading to the hospital. Doctors were unable to remove the bullet, but Teddy lived on with it inside his chest for the rest of his life. His valiant efforts didn't win him any points with the voters, though. One month later, Woodrow Wilson won the election and became the 28th president of the United States. But Teddy wasn't phased by the attempt on his life. He'd been expecting something like that to happen for a while. When asked how he was able to remain so calm and deliver his entire speech, even after being shot in the chest, this was his reply. In the very unlikely event of the wound being mortal, I wish to die with my boots on. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.